Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. Join us as we discover the cast of Christmas, the key players in the story we all know and love. What is special about these groups? Why are they part of the story? Reverends Tom Simcox and Don Schwing will open the Word of God and guide us to understand more about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you would like more information or have any questions, please visit us at www.gracewaybc.org. Come with us now as we open the Word. As we begin, I want to, uh, we're going to be talking about the angels today. Uh, and want to give you just a little background. Who or what are angels? The word literally means messenger. And the word messenger implies that, that as a great king, God had those who were at his disposal who would do his will. So God would say to one, come, and he would come. God would say to another, go, and he would go. And the angels were the ones that were dispatching God's word. In fact, throughout the, uh, the Hebrew scriptures, as we're going to see in just a moment, angels were very important in the economy of God. We also know that uh, angels are beings who have greater power and abilities than we do. They exist in heaven. Heaven is their home. They, they are up there with, with God and are servants of God. They were created by God before he framed the earth. The book of Job tells us that, that Job was asked the question, were you there as the morning stars sang together as God framed this planet and put it together? So if you go to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The angels were created when he created the heavens, which is not just... The, the area above the planet, that would be like this, the area where planes fly and then you've got outer space. But the heavens also includes the, the third heaven, the dwelling place of God. And the angels are there and they watched as God framed and put the planet Earth together and as God did all the creation process. So they have been around since really the very beginning and they watched as, as God went through the entire creation process. I'm sure you're aware of this. But there are three, and only three, named angels. Despite the fact that there are myriads of myriads and thousands, ten thousands times ten thousands, there are only three that are named. One is named Gabriel. Very active throughout Scripture. Seems to be one of the chief messengers that God dispatches to give word to specific people throughout the Old Testament, even early in the New Testament. Another is named Michael. We're told he is an archangel. And he seems to be involved, especially when it comes to Israel and her defense. One of the chief defense angels for, uh, for Israel from God. And the last is known as Lucifer, the enemy of God. We're told that he was the anointed cherub that covers. And it seems that as a cherub, if you remember the Ark of the Covenant, you remember that on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, there were two cherubim with their faces down, their wings out, and their wings faced each other. And God dwelt between the cherubs, between the cherubim. It seems from the scripture that Lucifer was probably the number one created angel, the highest ranking angel, because we know from scripture that angels are in military kind of order. And that Lucifer had a very unique position of hovering over the throne of God. Cherubs are generally associated with protecting and guarding the holiness of God. And Lucifer, it appears, had a very unique perspective as he was the anointed cherub that covers. It seems like he had a different perspective that as God created, the Bible tells us that Lucifer saw what God was doing. And in Isaiah, he says, I will be like the most 
high God. Lucifer saw what God created, and he said, this is good, and I want this. I, I want to be the head of the angels. I want to rule the earth. I want to be like God. And so that's when Lucifer, the son of the morning, fell and became Satan, the adversary. So of all the angels that have ever existed, I'm sure God knows their names, but there are only three that we're told of, and uh, we can see them throughout Scripture. There are numerous times throughout the Scripture that angels appeared. I just put a few up here, just, just, just for your information. In Genesis 18, Abram was sitting in the wilderness, uh, and we're told that three men, three angels came to, to visit him. One was, an, was the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. The other two, after spending some time with, with Abram, went on and were involved in the entire destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah while the angel of the Lord remained back with, with Abraham in Genesis 18. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel was dispatched to him by name to, to help him to understand a vision and to answer a prayer that Daniel had uttered and given to the Lord. In Acts chapter 8, Philip was directed by an angel of the Lord to go and speak to the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading Isaiah 53 in his chariot. And we saw that in the scripture that the Ethiopian eunuch received Christ. And then in Acts chapter 12, you might remember Peter was chained between two guards. Herod had locked him up, but it wasn't his time yet to die. And so as he slept... An angel of the Lord was dispatched by God. The chains fell off. Literally, the angel walked him out of prison. When they came to the iron gate, it just miraculously opened. The angel took him outside the prison to a couple of streets and then departed. And then Peter understood what happened. He thought this whole thing was a dream or a vision. He was not aware fully of all that was transpiring. But angels are clearly appearing and, and, and ministering to people, ministering on the authority of God throughout Scripture. And as you know the account of the first advent, the Christmas story, you know that angels played a major role in announcing the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. I want to take you to Luke chapter 1. Let's begin. Oh, we're going to begin here. Uh, let's take a look at verse 5. Now, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zecharias of the division of Abijah, his wife was, the, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. So let's just take a look at this real quick. First off, we're told that Zacharias was a priest, and that he is the order of Abijah. Now you may look at that and say, okay, that's great, and that means what? Well, it's interesting because back in the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 24, David, before he died, had broken all the priests of Aaron into various divisions or orders. In fact, there were 24 of them, 24 distinct orders or divisions. And the purpose of these were that they would then be able to worship at the temple of the Lord that was going to be built by Solomon. The priests at each division were on duty twice a year for one week each at a time, and their off opportunities to serve were chosen by lot. Can you imagine? Here we are. We're, all the, we're, we're the priests, and, and Pastor Don needs some assistance, and we have to cast lots to decide who gets to go. They were 
oftentimes only able to serve one time in their entire life because there were so many other people ahead of them. And when it comes to Zacharias, we're told here in the text that he will have the opportunity to go into the temple and he will offer incense on the altar of incense. Now, if you remember anything about the temple, if this were to be the Holy of Holies, right on the other side of the veil would be the altar of incense. And the incense represented the prayers. Remember last week when I told you that the the priest stood with their back to the people and they faced God and they ministered on behalf of the people who had heard theoretically, the words of the prophet, and they were repenting. Well, he stood, and as he ministered, that was as close as he would ever get to the Holy of Holies because only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year on Yom Kippur. He was right outside the veil. And there he was ministering by by offering the incense on the altar of incense, which represented the prayers. And you realize that incense permeated the veil. So as the incense was going through the veil, coming into into the Holy of Holies and filling that area where God dwelt, that was letting the people know that God was in a physical way. Yeah, he was new, the incense was there. But that was a representative of the fact that he was hearing their prayers. He was only able to do that once in his entire life. Can you imagine that that you only have one opportunity in your entire life to serve the Lord? Do you realize what a blessing we have in the age of grace? We can serve him moment by moment. We have opportunities every day to serve the Lord. And here's a man that lived his entire life. He's old and advanced in years. And this was his only shot to go into the temple and to worship there, and to to minister before the Lord at that altar of incense. He was of the order of Abijah, which was the eighth of 24 orders that were created by David in 1 Chronicles 24, verses 7 through 18. We also know that Zacharias and his wife were righteous. The text tells us that. We also know that they were childless. To be childless and to be righteous seemed to be an oxymoron to the people in that day because they looked at everything based on if you, were, if you were really good before God, then God would bless you. And if you were bad, then he would punish you. Remember when the blind man was there and, and Jesus' disciples came and said, who did sin, this man or his, or his parents, that he was born blind? They looked at punishment. They looked at any kind of, of failing as the people failed or their parents failed or as a judgment from God. So that's why I think the text puts this in here. You know why they were childless? Because God was going to do something miraculous. Do you realize when this angel, and we're told here that while he was was serving, verse 8, as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense where he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside, This hour of incense. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Do you know why? Not only because he was seeing an angelic being. Folks, it had been over 400 years since God had done anything miraculous in the world. Oh, people were here. They're called the 400 silent years because God didn't speak. There was no prophetic utterance. There was no angelic appearance. There was like nothing. It was like God had left them. We know he hadn't. But since the conclusion of the book of Malachi, until Zacharias went into that 
temple to all offer incense on the altar before the Lord while the people were praying. There had been no supernatural events happening. And all of a sudden, he sees an angel. Let me tell you, if you haven't seen anything like that, A, you see an angel, you're going to freak out. But when you haven't had any kind of supernatural divine interaction known for over 400 years, that would certainly get your attention. And he sees the angel, and he was troubled. To put it mildly, he was scared. So the angel then said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias. You know why I said don't be afraid? Because he was afraid. You know, whenever God says, fear not, it's because people are fearing. So you are presently fearing, stop and desist, okay? So do not be afraid. Why? Because you are. Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He also will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. What he's being told is, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. And ultimately, John is going to be the herald to the Messiah. First appearance of the Lord for over 400 years, and he comes to a man who is too old to have a child with a wife who is barren, and God says, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a son. Ever seen this before? We go back to a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah. God is the God of the miraculous. And God did this to show the people of Israel, I'm not done with you yet. We're not finished here. In fact, it's only just begun. You also remember that Zacharias questioned, and he was then stricken with dumbness. And so many times we look at that and we go, Zacharias, you should have known better. That may have been the case, but you know what? I tend to think it was more of the fact that Zacharias was going to be a testimony to the people. You remember, he was in there for a long time, and they started to get worried. They wondered what was going on in there. Do you know that they actually tied bells around the, the garment of the priest? They had a rope on them because if they went in there and something happened, they had no way to get them out. And we know that people actually had incidents and happened because we saw priests die when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the book of Numbers. So this clearly could happen. So as he's taking time, as this whole drama is unfolding, they're getting to wonder, where is he? It doesn't take this long to pray because the angel and Zacharias were having an interaction. And ultimately, when Zacharias came out, he could no longer speak. They knew then God had visited with him. His not being able to speak was a declaration that God is still here, and he wouldn't speak again until he said his name is John. You see, God was using this. I, I don't see this so much as a punishment of Zacharias as I do. People, I'm here. You know, sometimes God has to do something to wake us up, doesn't he? Maybe it's an attack on the World Trade Center as it was back in 2001, or maybe it's a little global pandemic. But God has a way of getting your attention. And God wanted to get the attention of his people. We move on. Not only did the, uh, get an angel visit Zacharias, an angel visited Mary. Take a look in Luke chapter 1. We're going to go through, beginning in verse 26. 
Now, in the sixth month, this is the sixth month of Elizabeth. Elizabeth is already six months into her pregnancy out of the nine. When the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice highly, favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary had a question. You'll notice up there, she was betrothed. She was more than engaged, but less than married to Joseph. She was a teenager, roughly 14 to 16 years of age. That was the traditional age that, that women got married and, and had children in that era because the life expectancy was not quite as long as it is today. She was visited by Gabriel. And he announces this incredible message. You're going to have a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. She had questions, wouldn't you? Um, excuse me? Hello? How can this be? I'm married, but I'm not really married. We haven't come together and consummated that marriage. And, and you know, it's not really possible to make a baby without a mommy and a daddy. She understood that. Well, the angel said to her, Don't worry. Fear not. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Folks, I don't know about you. I read those words and I get goosebumps. Nothing with God is impossible. Nothing. God can do anything. Remember last week, his omnipotence? Nothing's impossible. God is the God of the miraculous. God is the God who can do whatever he wants because he's God. If God's not ruling, God can overrule He's God, and we need to trust him. That's the God that we serve. That's the God of the Bible. That's the one we pray to. You know, the, the songwriter said, our God is an awesome God. That's the God we serve. Nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. She, she totally surrenders. Now, here's a 14 to 16-year-old girl that's totally trusting in the Lord. The hymn writer said, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." You trusted him? This young woman, having no idea, look, the angel, there's been angelic silence. There's been no word from the Lord for over 400 years. Six months after appearing to Zacharias, an angel comes to a, a 14 to 16-year-old girl and tells her, guess what? You're going to have a baby. And you're not even married yet. And she said, 
okay. Okay. Whatever God wants. You know, folks, as we sit here, sometimes God is calling us to do something. God wants you to do something. You know, I've seen parents that struggled with letting their children go because their children wanted to serve the Lord, and mom and dad struggled. They didn't want Junior going to Ethiopia, or they didn't want Sally going to wherever she wanted to go because she was called. You know, the Bible tells us, faithful is he who called who will also do it. And we have to trust the Lord. Our children are not ours, they're the Lord's. Our lives are not ours, they're the Lord's. Your house is not yours, it's the Lord's. Your money is not yours, it's the Lord's. Everything you have, the very air you're breathing is because the Lord gives it to you. And it's all His. And we have to trust Him. Mary, a a teenager, trusted in the Lord with her heart. You know, the Bible says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. But we need to trust Him with everything. The angel visited another person. His name was Joseph. Turn, if you would, please, to the Gospel of Matthew. Sorry, I know... I, I was told last week that I, I get you to turn a lot. I'm sorry. These are topical, and we're not, uh, we're not able to do all the topics from, uh, from one book. So, Bible drills. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Makes that very clear they had not yet consummated the marriage. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, look, Joseph was betrothed. They were married but not yet married. More than engaged, less than married. I'm speculating here, but I think he came to get his wife and before that marriage was consummated, she said, um, honey, I got a little something I got to tell you here. He struggled with that, wouldn't you? Think about that. You're, you're ready to get married. I'm standing at the altar, and Lorna says, um, Tom, we've got a little issue to discuss here. I've been faithful to you, but God says I'm going to have a baby. And he's looking, he's going, yeah, uh uh-huh, and pigs are flying. He struggled. It's human nature. Remember, God has been silent for 400 years. There's not a lot of divine activity going on here. And you know, we're humans. We love to, to discount the miraculous and find some way to scientifically or fundamentally explain everything and take God out of the equation. That's the human nature. So he's struggling. Joseph, her husband, he was a just man. He was a righteous man. He was a kind man. Now look at these words. And not wanting to make her what? What are the words? A public example. You see what the text says? She was not a public example because he didn't make her one because nobody knew that anything was illegitimate about her conception. If you go to the New Testament, I've heard messages on this like cringe. Because the text tells us she was not a public example. The text also tells us when he came into Nazareth, he went into the temple. If there was any concern about his legitimacy, he would not have been allowed in the temple 
or in the tabernacle or in the synagogue to read. Secondly, when the Mary was seeking for him, you know what the text says? Is not this the carpenter's son? There was no question. God is omnipotent, folks. And God was able to make Mary's condition look perfectly legit. There was no question. Joseph knew, and Joseph struggled, and Joseph was debating whether to put her away quietly. He could have pulled her out in public and had her there in the, in the center square and could have called them and told them what had happened. He could have had her stoned to death. He was a kind man. He struggled. He didn't know what to do. And as he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord, possibly Gabriel, appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's okay, Joseph. She has been faithful to you. She's been true. She has told you the truth. This is all being done by God and through the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and she'll call his name Jesus. Now, if you remember, Mary was told you shall call his name Jesus and that he would sit on the throne of his father David and of the increase of his government, there would be no end. Joseph is told something different. You shall call his name Jesus. And then it goes on and it says, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, nobody have ever looked at this. Joseph was told about the first advent, the first appearance of the Messiah. He will save his people from their sins. Now, I kind of work with this a little bit. I'm very concerned about time, but Joseph was Jewish. He understood, number one, that the only way sin could be dealt with was blood, Leviticus 17, 11. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you on the altar, for it's a blood that makes an atonement, a covering for the soul. He knew what it took to deal with sin. He also knew, as we saw last week, that he was not of the tribe of Levi, and neither would his son or, or Mary's son be because they were both from the tribe of Judah. So there was no way this baby could offer a sacrifice for sin because it was not legally allowed. I'm sure he pondered a lot of pondering there because the only way that this baby could deal with sin would have to be either offer a sacrifice, not legally, or become a sacrifice. And his name, Jesus, literally implies salvation. You call his name salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. Mary's told about the second advent of the increase of his government. There'll be no end. He will sit on the throne of his father David, and he'll rule. That's what we sang about last week with joy to the world. Two messages, two angels, two different people. You call his name Jesus, and then it skews. First advent, second advent. With God, nothing's impossible. The text then tells us, Joseph, having arisen from his sleep, did as the angel told him. But he knew her not. He continued to wait until she brought forth her firstborn son, and then the marriage was consummated. And yes, it was. There's another appearance, a fourth appearance, We've sung about it. We've talked about it. As you have your Bibles, I'm sorry. Let's go back to Luke one more time. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2 and look at the very familiar account that we all know so well. 
And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took place, first took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, everyone to their own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. That was about a 90-mile journey, probably took about four days to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem, walking. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. When I spoke to the moms the other day, I, I reminded them, you know, we always kind of picture that, that, that the hymns and we, the songs we sing are correct and that the shepherds were out watching their flocks and it was like cold and snowing. Uh, probably not. Uh, he was probably born closer to, to Passover, probably born like March or April. And the shepherds in Bethlehem were watching Passover sheep because Bethlehem is almost like a twin city or a twin town to Jerusalem. And the temple was in Jerusalem, and they raised the sheep in Bethlehem, and they were able to bring them to the temple to be available for Passover sacrifice. So Jesus was born, the Lamb of God was born in a place where they were raising sheep for the Passover. You notice what happened. They're out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, and it says, Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Notice, Joseph, Mary, Zacharias, the shepherds, were all being told, don't fear, because they were fearing. And then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That word people is the Gentiles, it's the nations, it's, it's going all the way back to the promise that God made to Abraham. Through you and through your seed, all the nations, the peoples of the earth shall be blessed. This is going to be wonderful news to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. I wish we had time to deal with this. Oh. <laughs> you shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And look at verse 16, they came with haste. They knew where they were going. They were shepherds. They were outside Bethlehem. There weren't a lot of people in Bethlehem. It was a little town. Oh, the little town of Bethlehem is very true. They came with haste. They knew where they were going. And they found the baby and his mother and father. And they made known that which the saying was told to them. They made known everything they experienced. Now, it's interesting because as I told the, 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 the moms the other day, shepherds were not the most esteemed people in their day. They were kind of like the lowest of the low, like... Nobody believed them. Nobody trusted them. They were rough. They were dirty. They stunk. They spent all their time with sheep. And they weren't even allowed to testify in a court case. They weren't able to be witnesses because nobody believed them. And God went to shepherds. 
which is interesting because God uses shepherds a lot, doesn't he? Moses shepherded for 40 years before he became the leader of the Jewish people. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And even David was the shepherd of the sheep before he became the king of the Jewish people. They're in their fields watching. The angels appeared, and they followed their heavenly command. Okay, now let's, let's kind of bottom line this for you. What's, what's, what's this mean? How does this impact our lives today? Folks, I need you to understand, outside of our physical work-a-day, study-a-day world, there's another realm. There's another area. It's not discernible by our, by our senses. We can't smell it, taste it, touch it, feel it. You know what? I can't see, touch the, the wind, but I can feel it. Yesterday, it was really blowing out there. I didn't see anything except trees moving, my dog's ears flapping, but the wind was there. Just because you can't see it, touch it, feel it, taste it, examine it, doesn't mean it's not there. There are some scriptures that I've got here that I want to share with you that remind us of this realm. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. In Ephesians 6, we're reminded, we're reminded about what's going on. The Bible tells us, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Folks, there's a spiritual world out there, and there's a spiritual warfare going on. And let me tell you, be grateful that you don't see it. Because I think if we saw what was going on in that realm, we would be scared to death. We have no idea the wrestling that's going on in this world between Satan's angels and God's angels for control of the world in which we live. Daniel saw this. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to. But back in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, I promise we're not going to deal with prophecy. I promise you. But in Daniel, chapter 10, we see an account that has always intrigued me. Daniel chapter 10, you remember that Daniel was praying and asking the Lord for an answer to prayer. And in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Prayer is always heard. And I have come because of your words. But, look at this, verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, this is Michael the archangel, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Who are these kings of Persia? Folks, the world is being controlled on a spiritual level. Daniel prayed. God dispatched an angel to answer his prayer, but the angel was withheld for 21 days, three weeks, as there was a spiritual warfare to prevent Daniel from hearing the word of the Lord. Finally, Michael the archangel joined the fray, managed to get the angel through, who then came and spoke to Daniel. Sometimes when we're having spiritual warfare and there's, there's things going on, we're praying. It's not that the prayers aren't being heard. The angels are wrestling on a spiritual level. Folks, we're at war. 
This is like trying to get information from one side to the other, and they're being intercepted. It's all happening in the spiritual world. The angels are out there, and they're fighting, and they're fighting each other. And finally, Hebrews. One final reference, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. Hebrews 1, 14. And they, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? There's another form of angel that's present. Do you realize, gentlemen, when you take attendance, you could take attendance and like double it because there's angels all over this room. We can't see them. But every one of you who is an heir of Jesus Christ, who have put your faith and trust in him, or are not yet saved but will be, you have an angel here. We have guardian angels protecting us. Just like Peter had. Let me share with you a little account and then we're all done. We were uh, in North Carolina several years ago. And we got off our plane and we're going down this massive L escalator to go from the, the gate down to the baggage claim. We had to go through two floors, so it was a long, long escalator. And Lorna was with me. She had uh, her, her rather large bag, which had her computer in it, because Lorna goes nowhere without a computer. And um, there was a little boy that, that, that kind of got fumbled up on the escalator, and Lorna bent down to help him. Well, that, when she bent down, the purse slipped, the computer weight, and Lorna fell flat down on the ground at the bottom of the escalator. Before I could even move, this person appeared, lifted her up. I mean, I can't even tell you that I saw it happen, but I know there was a guy. And then all of a sudden, he was not. He was not. Folks, to me, I believe that Lorna had an angelic appearance there because had she stayed in that position with the people coming down, getting off the plane, there would have been all kinds of problems. People would have fallen over her. People would have, she could have been injured beyond any, any reference of what she already was. But she immediately popped up. And I saw the guy get behind her, lift her up, and then he was gone. I never even got to say thank you. Folks, you have no idea how many times you're protected in this world by that spiritual realm. We may not have them today as we did in the Bible where they're, they're coming and delivering a word from the Lord, but I believe they're just as present here and just as active and just as protective of those who are God's. Amy Grant sang a song, God has angels watching over me. We need to be thankful for that and remember that those angels were the same ones that were part of that amazing event of the Christmas accounts. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for our church family and Father, for the opportunity that we have to enjoy this season and to look at your word and to study it together. And I pray that we have rightly divided the word of truth, that you first and foremost are pleased, that Jesus has been exalted high and glorified, that Satan has been bound. And Father, that as we leave, we leave a little different than when we came. Father, we just ask that you would bless and strengthen and prepare us as we continue to look for opportunities to serve. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. 
May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.